0: Coming up on Art Palace. But for the British, we have, I don't know, like 3,000 years worth of history. Like, you know, a couple of years where we had you as a colony and then you left. It's not really that much of an issue for us.
1: Welcome to Art Palace produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is Darren Husted, host of Prince Track by Track. So, since you were bringing up uh, Prince track by track uh, already, I thought that would be kind of a a, a a natural place to maybe start to tell a little bit about the show and how it got started.
0: Okay. Well, um, like puzzlingly, it is my sixth podcast. That's sixth. Uh, like yes, yeah, sixth. Uh, it is my sixth podcast project, should I say? Um, okay. And the first three that I did were um, minute by minute podcasts, which is right. you know a format of podcast where, you know, you, t- you watch a film for a minute and then you talk about the minute you've just watched. Uh, it is not as some people are led to believe a podcast that is a one minute long. <laughs> um, so like <laughs> that seems to be a common misconception. Um, yeah. this it, I mean, kind of Star Wars minute is the kind of the originator of that format. Um, and, by pure accident i fell into being an editor of of uh, a talking cast which is a minute by minute podcast about the film a talking cat <laughs> which is like a kids like a, a cult kids film from about 5 years ago now. um which which like it's it's so low budget um i mean they say the budget is a million dollars but you can't see any of that on the screen <laughs> um you know it's like and like the level of acting is so kind of like amateurish um And it's just such an odd script. Uh, And I mean, for our final episode, we actually managed to get an interview with the screenwriter. Oh, wow. Um, And so, yeah, so that was like the kind of final bonus episode. And he like came on and he talked us through the process of like how he like arrived at the idea of a talking cat and kind of the constraints that were put on him and like what they, you know, how they kind of led to some of the quirks in the script. And, you know, it's kind of like if you can't do certain things then you have to kind of write around them. And it's kind of, you know, it's quite interesting kind of hearing his side of that. Yeah. Um, And then after that, I was like, well, you know, the people who'd done it, I was like, well, should we do another film? Like, should we pick another film? And the Jennifer Lopez film, The Boy Next Door, had come out. And a few people who were kind of in the group had kind of seen it. And, you know, they'd been quite, you know, effusive in their praise for how kind of schlocky it was. was. So I went and saw it at the cinema and I was like, like, literally every 60 seconds, I was like, well, this would be a good episode. And then this would be a good episode. And so, like, after, like, watching it, I was like, yeah, this should be, you know, this should be the subject of our next film. Um, and then, you know, I reached the point of that where I was like, once we finished that, I was like, well, I, I'd like to do this one more time at least. But with a film that I actually enjoy rather than, like, you know, the choice of those two other films was kind of not mine, really. Like, I guess The Boy Next Door was a little bit mine, but, you know, it's mostly kind of, you know, from other people that it came. So I said, well, how about we do Clueless? Because I love the film Clueless. Let's do that minute by minute. And, you know, so I was like, well, you know, Clueless is is gonna be a fun film to do. And so, you know, we kind of went ahead and did that. And while while we were doing Clueless, I was thinking to myself, well, I would like to do something, you know, like a different podcast, but importantly, I like my podcast to have an end date. Like when I start them, you know, when you start a minute by minute podcast, you know how many episodes you're going to do because the length of the film dictates that. Right, right. So, I, so I was like, you know, Clueless is only like 97 episodes. You know, uh, I think Boy Next Door was like 100 episodes. Talking Cat was like 86 episodes. It's like these are very short run podcasts. You know, in the in the general scheme of podcasts, because you know a lot of podcasts tend to you know go on for years and years. So I was like, these are only going to last like you know six months. I'm going to be done with it. Um, And I loved I love the TV show Arrested Development. And so I was like, well, what about, you know, uh, a podcast about that, you know, just a rewatch podcast. And so, you know, with that much podcasting experience behind me um, and also worth saying that, you know, uh, there's a podcast that was done by the guys who did Star Wars Minute, which is called Alphabetical, which is the Beatles back catalogue, but done in alphabetical order. OK, which is like a weird way to kind of tackle it. Uh, but at least it kind of keeps it interesting because you're not just going, you know, st- you're not starting with like all the kind of two minute pop songs that they they and then finishing off with like a bunch of psychedelica. Yeah. You're kind of jumping back and forth. Um. And I thought about like I in my head I thought oh I, maybe that would be worth doing with Prince. You know maybe I could you know I've got all his songs on iTunes. You know all you have to do is click to arrange them alphabetically. <laughs> it would only take me a couple of seconds to right. figure that out. But then in my head the the, the you know the the notion was well. Prince is going to be releasing albums for many years to come, and so if I rearrange them now alphabetically, I'd have to keep adding episodes in. Oh uh, like, yeah. How like how would I do that? So I was like, well, there's no point even thinking about doing a Prince podcast because it's going to be years before the idea of kind of covering it is a realistic notion. And then you know, um, you know, he died, and and I remember just being so devastated. And kind of like for for at least a couple of hours, I was just sitting there. just li- I mean, I listened to the first Prince album, which is alphabetically, which is around the world in a day. And I just listened to that like twice through because I couldn't really. Like, I was like, I can't go around picking my favorite Prince songs. Mm-hmm. I'll just listen to the first album that's here. Um, and then, you know, a, a, like a, a few kind of months later, um, I was thinking to myself, well, this seems like a good point to be like, well, you know, let's talk about those songs like, you know, I, not as a way of like processing my grief because that sounds too big considering I never met the person, you know, like, but just as a fan, it's like, well, if, if I want to kind of celebrate what he did, then it it feels like just kind of starting with his first song and just going all the way through to kind of the last two albums that he put out, um, you know, like the year before his death, that seems like a good way of kind of, you know, celebrating what he did. Um, but, you know, not, not kind of like, just praising every single song not just saying that this is a great song and like doing that for like 15 minutes every single day and like not not putting like a critical eye to it but actually kind of listening to the songs and and kind of you know assessing them and kind of saying well you know obviously he he achieved levels of greatness um and you know how do these different songs fit in with it you know his his first couple of albums didn't really sell a huge amount you know and he you know his next two albums they didn't sell very well either but at least they were kind of critically acclaimed and then you know he just kind of crossed over you know it took him six albums before you know you get to purple rain yeah and for most artists these days like if you think of like an artist and you're like what was their sixth album for some artists it's like well their career was over before they got to make their sixth album because you know they weren't given the chance they weren't like kind of nurtured obviously Prince got into a bit of a fight with Warner Brothers, but he should have given them a bit more credit for the fact that they kind of let him fail, like, five times. Yeah, before that's... Before he kind of...
1: I guess, like, I, I hadn't realized that was how long it took for him to become successful, because, I mean, I what year did Purple Rain come out?
0: 1984.
1: 84. So, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, three when Purple Rain was out. So, in all of my, you know... <laughs> life that i can remember there was always <laughs> prince who was like a superstar so yeah. i guess i never really thought about that like the those early albums not being a huge success because i've only viewed them through the lens of like oh well it's prince like obviously like his debut album <laughs> yeah. was a hit like I, I i just always sort of just assumed that
0: yeah it's funny because like his debut album came out like just at the tail end of disco Right, and there's a couple of songs on that first album which are kind of Mm disco-ish, but you can you can almost feel Prince fighting against that and kind of being like, I don't want to (laughs) be like, I don't want to release an album now and be labelled as a disco artist. Yeah, Um, and he did have some like hits in like the disco charts as they were you know back then with Billboard. So you know, but like you can almost feel him trying to push against that and be like, no, no, I'm definitely not a disco artist. And by the time you got to like you know, Dirty Mind. Like he was emphasizing like the rock side of himself a lot more kind of almost as if to make it clear, he was never a disco artist. Yeah. (laughs) And like, that's, that's just, that's like, like, that's only really a battle that happens in the first kind of few albums, but it's really funny to kind of hear, you know, essentially this 20 year old, like kind of asserting himself (laughs) and being like, don't like even saying to Warner brothers, don't release this single. Cause it'll end up as like, it's a disco hit and that's it. I'm pigeonholed and I'll, I'll never have any success. So just don't, don't get it. Like, don't make it a hit in the clubs. Cause I don't want that to happen. And you know, I, I, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, they kind of let him fail for so long. And then eventually he delivered, you know, purple rain sold like 30 million copies. So, yeah, you know, their investment was paid off, Yeah, you know, and the budget for the, for purple rain, the film, I think was like 4 million or something like that. And it made like a hundred million. Wow. So, you know, he was a good investment. It's, it's just, it took a few albums before that kind of paid off. And, you know, then from that point on, you know, um, like after he crossed over, he then like kept fighting against success. like, so many times, like, you know, around in the world in a day is like a kind of 60s psychedelic throwback. That's like, that's his follow up to Purple Rain. Like you've got 30 million people buying your album and he follows up with this weird kind of like psychedelic, like album. And people are like, what is like, there's so many critics who are just like, oh, well this definitely is not Purple Rain too. And it's yeah. like, no, of course it isn't. <laughs> Cause it's like, and it's only by when you look back, like over his career, which, you know, goes from like 78 to, you know 2016 it's like almost like you know 30 40 years uh, my maths is not fantastic at this point but yeah so it's like it's almost a, it's like almost a 40 year career and in that 40 years i'd argue 20 of them are prints deliberately going to the fans and being like did you just like the last album i did well here is an album that sounds absolutely nothing like that one well
1: when, <laughs> and, when you were talking you know, about the uh, idea of of ordering the podcast alphabetically as a you know and As a way to sort of um, create a little more excitement and diversity, I, I was thinking about that like that's one thing actually doing it chronologically with Prince doesn't necessarily affect it in that same way because he is hopping all over the place and he is a person who made so much music so quickly um yeah. and 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 he moved on to the next thing you know i know that's been a thing you've talked about a lot in the episodes that i was a guest on of like he's already on to the next thing like after you know he, he, by the time he's touring for for one album he's already recorded the other one and doesn't care about you know he he drops things very quickly
0: yeah. Yeah. Do, I, like particularly like if, you know, if you think about like the time that Purple Rain was released, you know, it spent, I think it was like 30 weeks at the top of the charts, something like that. Like, you know, he had like three number one singles from it. During all that time, Prince was recording all of around the world in a day. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think it's something like the day after Purple Rain, the film was released. He was recording Raspberry Beret like the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he like to him, any album that he just released was an album that was like nine months old. And those songs on there were probably a year older than that. So by the time you're hearing his music, he's like, "Oh, I don't care about that anymore." I'm I'm all, I'm already three albums ahead of you. I'm already <laughs> recording stuff for Parade. Like by the time you've even enjoyed Raspberry Beret, it's like, and so that like that constant like kind of um, restlessness. You're right. It you don't have to rearrange his songs to kind of make it interesting because you know, if you if you think of like an album that's as big as like Emancipation, which is 36 songs, you know, the the kind of the the literally the middle of his career and the biggest album he ever released. And, you know, on that you have like at least like 10, 11 different genres covered. And it's like like if you were to rearrange those alphabetically just within that one album, you would be all over the place anyway. So it's like there's no need to kind of gimmick it up like that. So I was just like, well, you know, if I start at the start and kind of just go through to the, you know, the last song that he released, then, you know, uh, and occasionally kind of divert for a bonus track here and there, you know, because obviously he wrote songs for other artists. You know, I did a bonus episode for like Manic Monday, um, you mm-hmm. know, because it doesn't, you know, you know it's, it's not a Prince song, but, you know. People know Prince wrote it, so, so there's no point kind of like trying to hide away from it, you know. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a few songs like that.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I,
0: where you've got to kind of acknowledge it.
1: I think I might have said this on your show or, or sometime, but I, I, I realized one day, like, you can hum. 1999 over top of manic Monday and it works out. All right. Like they're, they're yeah. very similar songs, especially the, the verse of them, like not, not so much the chorus, but the, the verse of manic Monday and 1999 to me are just like, Oh, that's the same song. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think you, you got into Prince? I mean, like what was it? Or, I mean, was there a certain time in your life that, that you started listening to him or.
0: The, I mean, the weirdest thing is, like, I remember, I remember hearing "Get Off" um, uh, played on a radio program, and they didn't even play the proper version; they played like a remix. Hmm. And as the song finished, you know, and this is a story I've told before, but the DJ he said Prince, and then he said, and then he spelt out the title. He spelt G E T T O F F instead of just saying "Get Off," and I don't know why that DJ did it. Um, but instantly, I was like, you listened to the song, and I was like, what is this song? Like, what is like? I, it, I didn't recognize it as being prince i was just like who is who is this artist making this sound um and i think it was the i think it was like the thrust mix or something so it was like a slightly different mix There was the thrust and the urge mix with the two like kind of uh, like remixes that got a lot of play so i so i immediately um on my wall i used to have like a a poster and on on that poster i used to have post-it notes and if i wanted to remember stuff i would just write stuff on a post-it note and just stick it on there very quickly uh just so that like at a later date i would be able to remember oh yes you know that was like i remember hearing that song i liked that thing like um there were a lot of times where like you know there'd be like upcoming films and i'd be like oh you know i'd hear about it and i think oh i better quickly just write that down and just you know stick it on my wall just so i remember um, and I just remember putting Prince Get Off and just sticking that on the wall. <laughs> and when it came to like the Christmas time, you know, uh, I was getting a, a stereo for Christmas. And I said to, said to my mom, I, I was like, I want this album by Prince called Diamonds and Pearls. And I, the only reason I wanted it was just for Get Off. Um, but then, you know, I I just listened to that albums. Like, I mean, I think I only own two other albums, which was Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him and um, Paul Simon's Rhythm of the Saints. which was, you know, like his, his Brazilian album. And so I was like, I had like those three albums, but it was, it was Diamonds and Pearls that I just listened to like nonstop. And like all of the songs on that album, like that literally was, you know, my 1991 was just listening to all (laughs) to listening to those songs nonstop. And you know, I, what I used to do is I used to get one of the speakers and I would put it underneath my pillow and I would just, like, put my pillow on top of my speaker and I, I would just listen to the album, like, quietly as I fell asleep, um, you know. And I and the thing is, I, I, I'm not even quite sure, like, just what it was about Get Off, but, like, it's, you know, looking back now, of course, you know, everyone kind of, you know, cites it as being one of his classic songs, so I guess maybe that was just it. Maybe the quality just spoke to me, but I was just like... And then, of course, by the time you get in, like at that point, you know, Prince had uh, 13 other albums. So then it was like, oh, well, you know, I've I've got to then gradually get each of those albums. So, you know, I was I was starting to kind of go into his back catalogue from that point on. But then at the same time, of course, by the time you start doing that with Prince, he's already got another album. <laughs> so I was like so like instantly I was kind of stuck in this this kind of like hamster wheel of. There's always a new Prince album coming out, and there's tons that I've got to buy and listen to from the back catalogue. The fact that I, th- I think that's the thing that I'd like the most. You know, I mean, um, I, I did a GCSE in music, and I did my A level in music, and I, uh, I went to university before I dropped out to do music. So, you know, I, I, I think maybe there was an appreciation of the fact that he um, was first of all so prolific. You know, this is th- this is something that you know, if you think of like classical composers that's what they always were. Like, if you think of, like, Chopin, he wouldn't, you know, he would turn out, like, 24 songs without much thought, like, every other week. Like, you know, writing a lot of music was something that, you know, because, compo- you know, a lot of composers, you know, they had to get paid for it. And, you know, they had, like, princes and kings who wanted more music. You know, that was kind of the way of, like, if they don't write another sonata, they're not getting any food next week. So right. they were always kind of... that. So I think that kind of, like... The fact that Prince was so kind of prolific and just was always putting music out, I think that's maybe one of the things that attracted, you know, me to him. And, you know, certainly when I, when I, you know, did music at school, that was one of the things that, um, I, I if I say like quantity over quality, it sounds terrible. But one of the things that I kind of learned was, you know, and I think this goes for a lot of creative things is like, you just have to do that thing. Yeah. Like if you want to, if you want to be a musician, just write tons of music. A lot of it's not going to be very good. But, you know, just keep writing lots of music and eventually you'll kind of, you know, you get good at it and you'll also find out, you know, what, you know, how to do it well.
1: That idea of patronage that you were talking about a second ago is like a really interesting tie in with art, obviously, because I think that's something that there's a really clear parallel with and especially that idea of what, you know, the 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 sort of idea we have of like maybe this like pure art you know that's like this is what the artist is making for them which is a kind of newer idea um or or, or i mean maybe it's cyclical but i i think when you look at so much of the art you know that we collect it's much of it was made for like you're saying kings or the very wealthy people who could afford to have this art made for them. And it was designed to never be seen by anyone but them, really. You know, the idea of going to a museum and looking at all these paintings is also a relatively new idea. Like, we don't, (laughs) that's not how people experience art for most of history. Um, Yeah. So. It's uh, the same
0: thing with music. Like, most of music in, you know, up until like the last, I don't know, 140 years, most music wasn't recorded. It was always performed. You know? Right. So it's like... There was no you know, way to record might... it. <laughs> no, no. So it's like you only history, ever saw... yeah. Yeah. So it's like... And in particular, like stuff that was written for string quartets or, you know, kind of chamber music was written for wealthy people to have a string quartet perform at their dinner party while their guests were milling around. Like it was kind of like background music that was, yeah. like, you know, very expensive because you had to pay for people to sit there all night doing it. And so, like the idea of kind of like um you know art being you know for the people essentially is such a kind of new idea, um, yeah, and like you say, yeah, museums are uh, like when you think about what a museum actually is, it's such an odd kind of thing because it's like yeah this is this is kind of art that was commissioned by wealthy people for them to look at that has somehow managed to find its way into a public space, um you know, and it it's and it's the same with kind of music, it's like, oh, yeah, you know obviously at this particular point in time you know you can stream practically any artist but it's like the artist isn't getting very much money for that but also like the idea of having so much music you know be kind of publicly available is only a recent phenomenon it's like you know you used to be able to have to read music and play a piano to kind of at least get the gist of what the most popular songs of the day were
1: i was thinking about how the way like spotify has changed how i listen to a lot of music and the way that i i definitely was a a lot more tied to albums in the past. And I would listen to an album over and over and over again until like, I knew it front and back. Um And that's just how I like, like to listen to music, especially when I was a kid yeah. and I would get a new CD and I would just listen to that CD for like a solid month and just on repeat. And, you know, I also do-
0: that anticipation of a song finishes and, you know what the next song is, like yeah, totally. You're so used to a song finishing and being like, "Oh, I know what song's next," because yeah, yeah, like it's tied together in your head in the like the album order.
1: Yeah, but I was thinking about that, like, and I I was having a little bit of an old man moment, I think, where I kind of am like, "This isn't how it used to be." Um, <laughs> with myself, basically, like I'm having this internal <laughs> conflict about like how I listen to music differently now, and then I kind of was thinking like, "Yeah," but that idea of even the album is like, not that old. Like the idea of of how we listen to music and this idea of like, you know, a lot of people hold that up as like the LP is like this sort of holy grail of how you're supposed to experience music. And I was just like, but that's really kind of new. Like that's that's not that old in terms of history of how people have been experiencing music. It's like, You know, if you think about concerts and how most people experience music, which was through live performers playing it, it would not be like, oh, I always hear this song that's always followed by this song. And it's always this exact one performance of this one song. So I was like, well, you know, like I'm, I'm getting hung up on, on something that's also just like an arbitrary way of listening to music. Like that's just as arbitrary as how I'm experiencing it now.
0: Yeah. And also kind of limited by technology as well. Like, oh, you know, absolutely. The, the yeah. Kind of like the, the length of an album was dictated first by like, you know, how much they could fit onto one side of vinyl. And then, you know, there were so many there were so many albums in the 90s that were like literally exactly 80 minutes long because that's how much you could fit on one CD. And it, it kind of like I know that the Beatles were criticized because some of their double albums were no longer double albums when she could fit them onto one CD, but they still insisted on selling them as two CDs. And people were like, "This could easily, you know, we could drop Maxwell's Silver Hammer, and we could probably put all this on one disc, <laughs> and you know, people would be fine with that." But, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, the the kind of the the way of consuming, you know, like art is is kind of always dictated by something.
1: Well, even um, yeah, the know. the idea of having two sides to an album like that changes the way that. Experiences is, is crafted and how you know that decision of what ends aside what starts aside <laughs> is like really careful and then you move to cds and that goes away um yeah and i think like now i think what i'm noticing and i i, I honestly i'm not too sad about it is like we had the cd which could hold 80 minutes and, and like you're saying everybody felt the need to like fill it and or or get like close to an hour. And I feel like now because of almost the, the way like Spotify lets you hop around really easily. um, I feel like people are making shorter and shorter albums and people are happier releasing multiple like EPs, especially smaller groups and things are like, no, let's just like put out four songs now because what's the difference, right? Like, yeah, put it out now, then we'll put out more songs later. And the idea of this, like that, again that arbitrary time length of like 60 minutes or 80 minutes or whatever it's just like completely gone now and it's like huh now now what do we do like you could do something that's (laughs) four hours like of continue like it doesn't really matter you could do anything yeah um
0: and the uh, the irony is that's kind of almost what prince was working towards for tons for a large portion of his career he like he hated having to wait to put an album out you know, like, in October, and then promote a couple of singles, and then, like, he just always wanted to be releasing music, and, you know, in the last few years of his life, there were a few times, I mean, there was one time in particular where Prince just tweeted something, um, which always makes me laugh, because I can't imagine Prince handling, like, the Twitter interface, um, so, like the, like, the idea of Prince logging into websites just always makes me laugh, because I'm like, what would his <laughs> password be? But. Um, yeah, so like, there's just one like one night that's just like, oh, Prince has tweeted out something about a song, and then it's like, here's a link, and you go to the link, and I can't even remember what site was hosting it. I don't, it wasn't SoundCloud. It was something else, but it was just like this website that essentially had this one Prince song. Yeah. Uh, which which is called uh, "De Bourgeoisie." That's the name of the song, and like, it was never released on an album. It was never collected anywhere. It was just literally this one tweet that Prince tweeted. And, like, that's it. That's the song. Like, listen to it. And, it, you know, he'd recorded it, like, a couple of days before. And, th- like, there you were hearing it, like, you know, 48 hours after he recorded it. And it's kind of like that's how he would have preferred to... I mean, he did it a little bit with a thing called the MPG Music Club where he would release, you know, you could be a member for, like, I don't know, $100 a year, something like that. And then every month he'd release four or five tracks. And then kind of, you know, by the time you get to the end of the year, you've got roughly an album's worth of material. Um, But, like, just the fact that you could just... You know, Prince could just upload a song and then tweet out the link, and then that was it. That's it. The song's out there. Like I, you know, I I feel like if he'd have lived a bit longer, maybe, you know, that like he'd he'd you know he'd fully embraced Tidal. You know, in the last few years of his life, where he'd put all of his back catalog onto Tidal, and he made like a deal, and and then he released a couple of albums that were like Tidal exclusive for like mm-hmm. six months, and then you know the actual CDs came out. You could buy them, but like that was music that was like you know, that he'd only recorded like a couple of weeks before it was put under title. And so it's like, I, you know, it felt like that's the direction he was heading in of like, you know, brand new music, like all the time. Um, you know, but you know, he kind of never got to do that. (laughs) Unfortunately, you
1: you laughing about the idea of Prince logging into a website, uh, reminds (laughs) me of something. I think I'm, I'm sorry if I've totally repeated this on your show. I can't remember if I did or not, but did I ever tell you about my friend's brother who, um, was working for like Blockbuster in Minneapolis. No, you haven't. I, I haven't this told story. you about this. Oh my god. No. So um, <laughs> I I don't remember exactly what he did, but he was working at like you know the central office or something like not at, at a store um, for Blockbuster. And Prince would call up like a Blockbuster store and ask ask them to close early so he could go in by himself to like look at movies. And I just, like, this is my favorite image in the world, is the idea of, like, Prince in an empty blockbuster just, like, picking up a copy of, I don't know, like, Mystic Pizza or something and, like, kind of consider, <laughs> like, you know, like, reading it and going, like, yeah, maybe, maybe this, this sounds good. Like, I just love the idea of Prince doing mundane activities is really funny. And so, I, yeah. I mean,
0: I would love if, like, Jerome Benton was, like, following around and he was like, Jerome, <laughs> did I... Did I like Pretty Woman? Am I a fan of Julia Roberts? Should we watch Mystic Pizza? Who else is in this? And he'd be like, Lily Taylor. And he's like, do I like Lily Taylor? Have we seen anything she's in? He'd be like, well, we did like Dogfight, but we thought it was a bit sexist. And he's like, yeah, okay. Well, then I guess we'll rent it. You know, like, yeah. And the thing is, what would it say in his, you know, when he he changed his name, what would it say in his card? I mean, you know, that would be the the fun. Like, to, to be the person to take that phone call where someone's like, hello, I'm calling from prince's office but he's not called prince anymore we need to change his blockbuster card because he's not going to come in using it if it says prince on it that would be so (laughs) amazing
1: a prince blockbuster card with just the symbol on it that i'm sure
0: if i'm sure someone with some photoshop skills could kind of fake that up yeah put it on the internet and you know but i i don't know that just the idea of him like when he changed his name the idea of him having to like change everything would be so like kind of funny to me, just like him having <laughs> to con... like someone from because it would never be Prince, of course, but someone having to like phone up the DMV and being like, "Yeah, we need to change your name on a driver's license." And like, "Okay, what do you change it to?" I'm like, "Well, draw a circle and then go draw a line going down and then put a point at the bottom and then cross through it and then draw a tail and yeah. hook it back over."
1: Yeah, that's what we're calling him now. Do a little curly cue. That's fine. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I uh, since, since we're doing this remote, this is, uh, I, didn't, I don't think I mentioned it on the show yet. The first actual like remote episode I've ever done of this podcast since you are, uh, across the pond, shall we say? Um, <laughs> I hope
0: people would have figured that out from my accent.
1: Yeah, well, uh, don't worry. I mean, I, I, I'm sure you know this, but like Americans are so thoroughly charmed by a British accent. So <laughs> you've won them over, no matter what you say. You could have just been on here reciting like a phone book, and we would have been all all about it. we Would be like, oh, look at that! He's got that accent, isn't it adorable? And also, like, there's like a twinge of authority that goes with it too. Like, we can't quite break as we just celebrated our independence from you we <laughs> here recently we we still can't quite break the chains uh that we we sort of uh there's like something we we do perceive it as like like oh well they must be smart <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, it's it's funny it's funny as well because like you know um you know for americans obviously american history is very important um, but for the British, we have, I don't know, like 3,000 years worth of history. Yeah. Like, you know, a couple of years where we had you as a colony and then you left. It's not really that much of an it's issue. A, a for drop us. in the <laughs> so pan,
1: like, yeah. like
0: Yeah, it's like, okay, I mean, you know, let off some fireworks and you wave flags around or whatever. But like to us, it's like, I mean, okay, it was the title of a nice film from 1996. But otherwise, <laughs> we're really not that concerned with with independence. And the thing is as well, it's, it's almost like you're having to, it's almost like a bad breakup that you just won't let go where it's like yeah we 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 are, we're independent from you now it's like yeah okay all right so that was 200 something years ago we right, moved on right you know <laughs> well
1: like, and it's like it's I mean, like one of many colonies
0: too it's like oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah i mean you know we had we had bigger problems going on in india trust us like, Right, that's right. that's more of a like sticking point because at the very least they gave us you know uh, curries and you know biryanis and they gave us they gave us a lot of cuisine that we were quite happy with and and obviously a lot of tea so, right. you know, if we're going to re- if we're going to remember anyone, we're going to remember the people who gave us the tea rather than throwing it into, uh, you know, a harbor.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good perspective. I, I, I was qu- kind of wondering, like, if if anyone actually cared uh, in England, if it, like it did register on like if it made it into, say, like an elementary school textbook even.
0: <laughs> oh, no. This yeah. is the thing as well is uh, like um you know through the internet i have american friends and you know a few of them have kind of visited this country and you know they've they they kind of asked me questions about england and they're like oh what do they what do they say about like you know american history and it's like they say nothing (laughs) right like our our history has like so many kings names that we've got to learn you know there's eight henry's to start off with so like we've got a lot of other history to fit in Like the fact that a bunch of our people went to another place and started a colony that's a story that's told 20, 30, 40 times over. Like, we've done that all over the place. You know? Yeah. Like, it's like, and the fact that, like, a couple of them got a bit antsy and decided they didn't want to be with us anymore, it's not really important to our history, you know? Like, I mean, we have more fun with saying that, you know, Australia is a nation full of criminals, you know, like, that's, yeah. you know, that's more important to us, like, is the fact that we use that as a prison colony. Like, you know, we the, the fact that India kind of managed to overthrow us, which unsurprising given the fact that we put so little effort into maintaining it maintaining any kind of control over there yeah um, you know it feels like independence was a lot more inevitable in India where there was like half a billion of them you know, <laughs> right. the kind of, like 13 colonies deciding they didn't want to you know pay taxes to our liter- literally our most insane king we're like, yeah, okay, we understand. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, we weren't we weren't particularly happy about him being on the throne either. But you know, his son <laughs> just couldn't seem to get it in him to actually, you know, get things moving in terms of taking over. Now, um, <laughs> well,
1: I thought we could uh, take a look at a work in the collection since we can't physically walk to it. I've sent you an image. This is we're looking at Minneopa Falls, Minnesota, by Robert S. Duncanson. Um, and so obviously, I'm sure you understand why I picked this piece today.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> it's funny because when I saw the title in the notes, I was like, you know, I feel like we're leaning into the Prince thing very, very hard here. But well, uh, hey, look, yeah. I it's, the, and th- th- my, my the thing is, as well, the way I think of, you know, Minnesota consists of like three things, uh, which is one, you know, uh, First Avenue, the club where Purple Rain takes place uh, Two, Lake Minnetonka, although that's not Lake Minnetonka. Um, where Apollonia is asked to purify herself. Um, and three, it's always under snow. Like those, are, you know, maybe four is Fargo, you know, that's, but that's, that's in Dakota. So, I mean, I don't know if I
1: have much more detailed thoughts about (laughs) Minnesota either. I've never been there, so I don't know. Um, You know, I, I, I have pretty, I I think probably you and I are about on the same track as far as what we think about Minnesota. Like again, like I'm just like, oh yeah, Prince, Prince and Fargo. Like that's (laughs) pretty much where I go as well. Maybe, um, or the accent,
0: which I'm not going to attempt, but, uh, Oh no, you're not going to try that. Like, no, I I mean, I Minnesota, Well, the thing is, I'd have to be fighting against my own accent to to get it over. So I feel like I'd have to to be doing an American accent and a Minnesotan accent. So it's...
1: Yeah, that is double duty.
0: Well, I mean, you know, unlike most of the things that I know about Minnesota, like this kind of lush, kind of like green and, you know, like the idea of like, you know, uh, I mean, it looks like it finishes in a pool, doesn't it? Like, you have like the two little waterfalls and it kind of finishes in a little pool. You know, this, like... This isn't what I imagine Minnesota being like, which is ridiculous because, of course, Minnesota isn't under snow 100 percent of the time. So Right. Yeah, know. I think they They're have just, beautiful like, summers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like like so the idea of like having like a, you know, a, a really kind of like green area in Minnesota obviously, <laughs> obviously someone who's never visited it maybe seems like a, a strange like phenomena. But I guess this is pretty common. I mean, it's a like the painting itself is like it's one of the you know it's it's like you know a photorealistic painting you know um, really yeah and, you know it it you know it it looks very pleasant it's like it's like you know you could imagine were the weather a little cooler there maybe um just sitting by that pool and just being like you know maybe dangling your feet in and just kind of um just you know being in the quiet you know i i imagine you know like if it'd be funny if it you know it widened out and there's like a gigantic you know like I don't know, industrial estate right next to it or something but um, <laughs> i don't i don't think that would have been true of when the paint was painted but like yeah, i don't know probably not looks, in the 19th looks, century no, it, well, I mean, it just looks very tranquil and very quiet, yeah. and you know, it's like it's you know, it's a it's a very you know, it's a very pleasant painting.
1: Yeah, we I should have said this painting was made in 1862. Um, so just a little bit of facts: um, Robert S. Duncanson um, was a freed black man in the you know antebellum U.S. So he's living during the Civil War, um, and. Is one of the few African Americans who are able to make a living by being an artist, which pretty much you know kept out, um, you know that that world, and especially sort of the kind of structure of it at the time really kept out anyone who you know was not white and generally you know, wealthy enough to, to pursue an art education as well. Um, so I think what's impressive about this painting, when you look at it and you said, you thought of it as, as being photorealistic. of course, at the time photography is brand new. (laughs) So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I mean, the photography does exist at this time, but it is, it is not certainly common and there's no color photography yet. And it is, it is, you know, so, um, it probably wouldn't be the way anyone would have thought about this painting (laughs) most likely at the time is like, Oh, it wasn't the benchmark by which we, we would judge (laughs) a painting at that point. You wouldn't be like, Oh, it's so much like a photograph. Um, but, uh, it is impressive like that. He is, is basically a self-taught artist who learned all of this by studying other paintings and drawings by the masters. So he, he learned this, um, all by himself. Another thing I thought was kind of interesting and and another reason I wanted to choose it that's maybe a little less on the nose than the Minnesota connection um, is he also has some interesting racial connections with Prince because um, I remember, uh, I think I heard you talk about on another show, um, another one being not one I was a guest on, um, about the, the sort of misinformation about prince's parentage of like whether he is of mixed race or not that's something that's come up right yeah
0: yeah i do you know that was something that kind of came up because um in early interviews that was something that someone at warner brothers kind of put out there and prince didn't correct he kind of like they said oh yeah he had a, a white mother and a black father and that was kind of how it was kind of publicized and then obviously when purple rain came out and in the film you know you have a black actor, you have a white actress right. playing those roles. And people obviously kind of felt that was autobiographical in terms of, you know, Prince's life. Obviously, you know, it wasn't Prince, you know, Prince's parents kind of separated, you know, fairly amicably when he was younger. Um, you know, there weren't any shootings or attempted murders going right. on in his house. But that kind of ended up being like a, you know, a repeated story of like, you know, to the point where, you know, for years, I, I you know, that's why I'd heard myself. And that's why I'd read another other you know, Prince biographies and you know i believe that too like uh,
1: that's what I, yeah. had, I had heard and again i think yeah. also that that like purple rain like you mentioned i think that also cemented it in my my mind as well as like well this must be fact which
0: is like crazy like <laughs> purple rain <laughs> like. yeah i was gonna say there are very few other films where you're like oh robert downey jr must have a, a flying suit somewhere
1: in <laughs> right, i mean right, yeah. given
0: that given how much money he makes for doing those marvel films now i think he could afford he might, to yeah. buy a flying flying suit if he wanted but yeah it's it was just like a bit of Misinformation that kind of has been repeated so often um, that you know someone on Twitter actually you know after I'd put one of the episodes out they actually corrected me and said that's that's not correct and I was like oh I hadn't like I hadn't even realised it and when I looked into it a bit more I was like oh yeah you know Prince's mother was um, she was light skinned but you know she was yeah. most definitely you know black and the same with Prince you know obviously he you know he was very much kind of you know very light skinned but he wasn't mixed race you know that was just something that kind of just I think. You know, Warner Brothers had a habit of lying about Prince early on. You know, they mm-hmm. said he was 18 when he signed his first record contract when he was actually 20. You know, like, they they seemed to kind of come up with some misinformation in, like, 78 that kind of stuck around for about, like, another 20 years before yeah. Prince kind of started correcting some of it. So, well, um, but, yeah.
1: If you look at um, Robert S. Duncanson's Wikipedia page, almost as uh accurate source of information as the film Purple Rain is Wikipedia. So... Uh, <laughs> You have, um, it will say that he is of, um, African and European heritage. And it'll say like uh, some, some things that are a little confusing. And then it later goes on. Like if you get down deep into it, it'll say like, it's often reported that his father was like Scot Canadian or something, but there's really no evidence for that. And basically he was a really light skinned African American as well. And you know, probably like as is the case with many people there are sort of illegitimate children of slave owners and things like that that probably happened and on both sides of his his family so he has this kind of also confused racial story that happens a lot and gets sort of often misreported but both of his parents as far as we know we would you know typically identify as african-americans at least by whatever insane standards i mean all of this is it's race is all made up anyway so it's like a little <laughs> bit like getting into the weeds on this stuff it's like i don't know like where do you draw these bizarre lines that are of course like completely fabricated and made up yeah you know basically to I, make white you know a white person feel special <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're not white is really the rule you know usually yeah.
0: I, I think it's interesting as well that i think it's interesting that like his surname is duncanson which mm-hmm. kind of like duncan obviously being a very scottish name <laughs> you know like very scottish you know um so it's it's interesting that like you know he's obviously identified as son of duncan as being duncanson and obviously again that's like a scottish tradition of having like you know macdonald and that kind of thing. so i don't know it just that struck me is just interesting It's like if he did have kind of heritage from you know in from kind of like scotland and stuff that kind of his surname does kind of fit with that.
1: Well, and, um, and a lot of slaves took on the name of their owners. So, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's like, that well. it's very hard to know like, uh, where that starts and who, you know, who, who gave them that name at what point it's, it's all very messy, but, um, yeah, the other thing, I don't know if you noticed this because it's it's kind of small and if you're able to kind of zoom in at the bottom of the falls here, you'll see there is like a little uh there is a person in this painting. I don't know if you saw them.
0: Yeah, I had yeah, I I I kind of cuz you know, the, the the you know the the size that I'm looking at, um I saw that was something but to like I couldn't quite make out exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, but now you say it's a person, yeah, I can I can kind of make that out. And if you can uh, zoom in
1: can you see him better, or are you able to zoom in?
0: Uh, I think I'm zoomed in as much as I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like I can't make out a face or anything, but no. I can certainly kind of see like uh, the shape of uh, you know a body. Um, they're turned away think, from
1: us, so like what yeah. we're seeing is their back. And it is when you get up close, you can see that they're wearing. They have like feathers in their hair, um, and it becomes oh, yeah. pretty clear that that this is also like a Native American. Um, person in this scene too which was also um, a pretty popular um, you know sort of theme of the um, of the day of this time and actually let me just look up something
0: uh, really quick Um, I mean when I first looked at it because obviously there's like a a kind of like a, a tree stump or something kind of in the very foreground uh, I think maybe I was thinking that was like a small tree or something. Um, and I hadn't kind of, you know, focused on exactly what it was.
1: What was kind of really popular at the time was this poem, The Song of Hiawatha. Have you ever heard it? Yeah. Yeah. By, I,
0: I've heard the title. I don't, I don't know that I'd be able to hum it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, you probably, I, I'll look it up here, because you probably have heard, it's like, it, it's it, I don't know if you've ever watched like old episodes of I Love Lucy or something too, you'll see. <laughs> like there's thing, there's like an episode i feel like that's how i i remember knew,
0: knowing i love this. lucy really wasn't a thing in this country really oh um, yeah i know it seems it seems odd to say but it's like the only <laughs> the only reason i know anything about i love lucy is because of references in the simpsons to i love lucy you know, <gasps> really you only know lucy yeah. from the simpsons I mean, there's so yeah, many
1: things well, I probably knew, I learned about through The Simpsons, though, so I shouldn't say it like that, because <laughs> it's like, how many times did you, like, when, especially, you know, you're probably about my age, I feel like, you probably, like, you would see something first in The Simpsons, and then, like, watch the real thing later, and go, oh, it's like that thing in The Simpsons, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, the... the um. the so, the line that I, I feel like you hear a lot uh, from this poem is by the shores of Gitchigumi by the shining big sea water stood the wigwam of Nakomis, daughter of the moon Nakomis, so that Gitchigumi thing is yeah. um, is pretty popular and it's like this weird thing where like the poem is on one hand very sympathetic to the Native Americans and and what was going on here um and you know their treatment and being run out of their own country um and but at the same time it it also like perpetuated a lot of those kind of like bad habits of like pigeon speech of like that sort of yeah fake Gumi and like it plays into a lot of those stereotypes um and so, it, it's got some weird things, and, and, but I think it's interesting that in, in our gallery, if you were able to see it here, um, this painting has another sculpture in front of it that is also an illustration of a scene from that poem. Um, yeah. And both of the artists are both African-American, and the artist who made the sculpture is um, Edmonia Lewis, who is both um, uh, African-American and Native American descent. And so there was a lot of almost like mutual sympathies that were like, um, basically like, hey, we're both mistreated, right? Like we, we <laughs> yeah. should we should sympathize with one another. Um, so you I mean, just- I can see
0: that that makes sense as like you know, if you were you know uh, someone who was kind of either a slave or descending from slaves or you know close enough to being a slave, then obviously you would identify with you know what happened to the Native Americans in America. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it feels like, you know, the kind of the oppression of both of those, you know, people would, would kind of, you know, at least give them a a kind of a common kind of theme, you know, particularly when it comes to like art, I would expect that they would, they would both kind of understand, uh, you know, that they have the same viewpoint, I feel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Duncanson was, you know, the point he's making this painting, he's traveling North and he eventually goes to Canada So he is sort of getting out of the United States as well (laughs) as he's as you know, this is sort of traveling. Um, We have a lot of his paintings here because he he did a lot of work in Cincinnati. He's not from here originally, but he did a lot of work in Cincinnati and found uh, patrons um, in some of the wealthier families who hired him to do a lot of work. Um, And so he has a big connection with Cincinnati, um, but eventually did move north and and got out of there so this is sort of like as he's passing through and he goes through (laughs) minnesota he was painting these scenes i should should also mention i did look up because i was kind of curious like how close is this falls to minneapolis you know where since we're i'm making it tying into Prince, it's not actually that close at all it's about (laughs) uh to an hour and 45 minutes south uh driving i guess if you're in the uh, twin cities <laughs> yeah a bit I, was gonna a gonna say, I
0: was gonna say like you know obviously you know living in a country that you can probably traverse in about four hours you know like the the gigantic expanse of most of the states of america um is kind of foreign to to most brits so obviously you know the fact that you know it is kind of close to the twin cities but at the same time it's like it's still a couple of hours drive away. <laughs> it's like right that, to you, you guys, know, it probably
1: so, fe- that feels like so far because yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I, r- that, I remember that, talking that, with
0: but that'd be the other side of the country. You know, like you'd be, you could probably be in France in a couple of hours from here. So like you know, yeah. you'd be in a different country if you traveled that far from here. Um, yeah, but yeah, I find I find it interesting that basically he decided just to go up north and was just like, that's it, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> but then also the fact that he stopped and painted. You know, what I will say is, you know, quite a beautiful painting. Like, you know, he obviously found the time to, I mean, this is not a painting that I can imagine took a, you know, a short while. This, this feels like something that maybe he camped out for a couple of weeks. And yeah, just, you know,
1: I, I, b- of... I believe he, he spent some time in the Minnesota area. I don't think he was just, you know, it's like how travel was in that those days where it's like, every time I watch a movie that takes place in those time periods, you realize like, oh, like people go and they like stay for like they've made the journey to go visit their aunt or something and they end up living there for a year because it was like (laughs) such a a pain to get to and from a place. Like you just, you end up like having these really long extended stays. So I'm sure like, again, he wasn't hopping in a car and, and just driving to, to Canada. So I'm sure it was like a slow process of, of moving through as is, is how I understood it at least that he was spending some time. He spent some time in that area. Um, and yeah, I should have also mentioned that landscapes are what he is most known for. So he did do some portraiture and things earlier on. Um, but really landscapes are his, his bread and butter. And um, he's sort of like uh, a continuation of uh, what we call the Hudson River School, who um, are really the artists who made, you could really say, argue they made America beautiful, because up until those artists started painting the country, the perception was that America was a very ugly place, like that it was not an attractive country. And they basically were like, "No, we're going to show you the beauty of this country." And so they um, painted it in a way that has really changed how people perceived the, the landscape. Um, yeah. And so, and yeah,
0: I, I, I can understand that because you know, if you if like if you know if you, if you think of um, you know culturally like how we think of America, uh, I think maybe the first thing that spring to most kind of English people's minds would be like kind of the Wild West and kind of everything being dusty and, you know, ghost towns and stuff being run down. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously to to get to that point, you've got to have at least, you know, built a railroad to somewhere and built a town for it to become run down and turn into a ghost town. So it's like, you know, the kind of, you know, the kind of people going out West and gradually kind of colonizing, you know, the country, you know, obviously that, I, I don't know, I guess that has a certain kind of perception. So I think maybe kind of, you know, having artists kind of deliberately go, no, no, actually, some of this place looks quite nice. (laughs) You know, it's not just, it's not just like dusty canyons. (laughs) Um, You know, there's actual vegetation, like somewhere in this country. (laughs) Um, You know, I guess that, you know, that kind of makes sense. Because I mean, you know, how how interesting can it be painting, you know, you know, sandy canyons over and over again, like, there's not really much. I well, mean, I guess you could make g- a out g- of it but.
1: That's what Georgia O'Keeffe did. So <laughs> she, <Yeah. laughs> uh,
0: but again, you know,
1: that's another person who really did affect the perception of that area. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, there are other artists who certainly painted the West and actually the same this sort of time period too, this sort of romantic era. They, there are paintings of, of the West at that point as well, too. But she definitely changed how people saw the West and saw yeah. those desert landscapes and, and did. I think for a lot of people they that did make them beautiful to them. It is hard, it is hard to see, uh, you know, when you look at this painting, it's, it's another thing uh, and you do kind of have to zoom in on it in some ways, but it, it is hard to like understand like what was maybe revolutionary about some of these paintings, like at the time, um, this period you see people like painting more scenes from nature more directly, Um, and certainly some of Duncanson's landscapes too earlier are, are follow the earlier traditions where you kind of go out and you make a lot of sketches like this painting was probably not done in this landscape here would be my guess. Like this was probably went out and it is a bit of uh, an idealized version, but that focus on trying to capture like a certain sort of reality of the scene is actually pretty different than what was going on in earlier paintings where um nature was much more idealized and you weren't really actually seeing any landscape that probably really existed anywhere um you you know it's just like oh well here's this waterfall i liked from this location and this valley i (laughs) like from this location and you know you can kind of start to tell when you start you once you start looking at me you go oh yeah this feels like a little too good to be true doesn't it like nobody's ever seen anything quite like that (laughs) And these romantic yeah, the, painters play with that sometimes. You, you'll start to notice, like, if you look at photographs from the real locations and the the paintings of them, you go, ah eh, this is a little, like, idealized in this way. They've kind of pushed this in a way that creates a little more drama. That mountain looks a, maybe a lot bigger than it really is in the real scene. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. they're painting the feeling of being there, too. It's, like, part of it, so
0: yeah i mean it is you know it's a it's a nicely composed because you have like the you know the waterfall at the back is kind of between a couple of trees and then you know the way that the you know the next waterfall is not like directly in front of it there's like Mm -hmm. a little meander so it's off one side you know it's it it, it, you know the area where he's painting may not have been this ideal but you know it's a well composed painting and you look at it and you know i guess you you kind of i i mean to to me i can kind of just imagine being there and kind of Imagine the quiet and just kind of, you know, the sound of running water and just kind of, you know, it being like a very kind of calm place, Um, you know, and if, if that was the feeling he was going for, then, you know, that's what I'm getting from this painting certainly is, you know, this kind of calmness.
1: Yeah, that composition you mentioned, it's true. I think one of the things it does, if you kind of follow the path of the water from the first waterfall down to the second waterfall down and then to the little pond at the bottom, you do make this kind of zigzaggy shape from left to right down the the canvas. And I think what that does is it helps create um, a more realistic sense of space. And um, that sort of, um, if you lined up those two waterfalls you flatten the space out a lot and um, that that's creating that, that um, volume and that sort of uh, three dimensionality by, by, composing it that way so it's another really smart thing he's done plus all those trees you know that that all those layers help create that space you kind of get all those different layers you can kind of see those trees that are much darker up against the the trees that kind of get lighter in the background which helps also create that sense of space um so yeah well i it i one of the things this might be a really goofy question but if if you had to pick a print song to uh, be serve as a a soundtrack to this painting, could you
0: come up with one? Uh, I would. I mean, I think I I would go with. Um, I I I the first thing that comes to mind is another lonely Christmas. Which is a Prince song about a um, <laughs> about a, a lover who who's you know whose lover is like sung from the point of view of someone who has lost their lover, and uh, it's actually you know quite a kind of tragic and very kind of like melodramatic song, um, but like just it's the only Prince song that I can think of that has anything to do with water in because it it oh, okay. opens with about Prince actually says I saw I saw your sister skating on the lake. So it's one of the very few songs that Prince ever did that refers to lakes, which considering how many lakes there are (laughs) in Minnesota, (laughs) it's a miracle that Prince wasn't releasing every other song with the word lake in. Yeah. Um, So that kind of, that's the kind of, but that's like a very loud and noisy song. So it doesn't really Mm. kind of, you know, fit with the calm, Um, you know, unless, you know, there there is something noisy going on in the background (laughs) that we can't see, then I guess it would fit. But I know that's, that's the, that's the first song that kind of comes to mind. Um, but I guess you know that. Like, I think the thing with Prince is, is, he very rarely does a song that is just kind of calm. There's always True. a certain level of dynamics. So it's like, um, I mean, I know there was a song that obviously we discussed, which was called "So Low," which is just Prince doing a cappella um, yeah. with a harp. And so I don't know that would that would probably be about the Calmest Prince song that you know or honestly even
1: is. even the one other one we one of the other ones we talked about Venus de Milo could actually be a sort yeah. of I mean it's it's they're it's purely instrumental so that also maybe makes it lends yeah. it uh, better to a sort of landscape uh kind of uh it doesn't have a lot of other visuals that kind of confuse it I guess so
0: I could yeah, work here. I guess I guess Venus De Milo would work. So I'd advise people to find Venus De Milo. Uh, I think it's on Spotify, and just listen to it as you look at this picture. <laughs> it's
1: it's it's the song I think from of all the ones we talked about, the one I hated the most. So <laughs> 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 you also have that to get, look forward to. <laughs>
0: My least favorite print song so far, Venus De Milo. I, I mean, it? I get liked it
1: the least. I can't remember.
0: Yeah, it. I I think I think the ones that we've talked about since Venus De Milo, you've 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 been more interesting. I think it yeah, like was that. just very kind of very kind of bland kind of yeah. music to you, but it was um, kind of bland,
1: yeah. but it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I still actually, I don't think it would be a bad fit for this painting. If I was to try to make yeah. something, I, I think it could work. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Darren for being my guest. Do you, uh, want to plug uh, your myriads of podcasts? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I I guess, you know, if you if you search in iTunes for a talking cast, the cast next door, as if um, a clueless podcast, um, uh, I've made a huge mistake, which is my um, Arrested Development podcast. Or you could search for a podcast which I only I only really edit and occasionally guest on, which is called Stage of Fools, which is a episode by episode podcast about the E-series The Royals uh, starring Liz Hurley. Um, so, Or, of course, there is just Prince Trap by Track, which, you know, currently that is the only active podcast I have going on at the moment. Um, so, you know, I, I think if you search anywhere for Prince Trap by Track, you'll find us, apart from on Twitter, where we are Prince Podcast. And I'm quite happy that I managed to uh, get that particular handle.
1: All right. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, no problem. It's wonderful being a guest. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. The special exhibition on view right now is Terracotta Army, Legacy of the First Emperor of China. Plus, special features include Jane Bussy: Innovations in Weaving, and Kanyachi, Painting Beauty and Death. Join us on Friday, July 27th, from 5 to 9 p.m. for Art After Dark, Terracotta Army Beer Bash. Enjoy beer tastings from local breweries, live music from the Hot Magnolias, food for purchase from Dewey's Pizza and Grater's Ice Cream, and access to the museum after hours. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalau. And like always, please rate and review us or tell a friend about the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.